It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I met a very interesting, dynamic person when I was at CES recently, Alpesh Patel. We call him Alpesh P. He's the founder of a company called Zimbizi, which actually is producing phones that pay you to use them. But I want to backtrack a little bit, if you'll allow me, Alpesh, and talk about you and where you come from and what took you on this amazing journey that you're on. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Serena. And, uh, you know, first of all, thank you for, uh, for having me on, uh, on your uh, prestigious uh, show. It was a, it was a <laughs> great pleasure uh, to actually to meet with you in, uh, in Las Vegas uh, randomly, um, serendipity, as we say. And um, I'm really glad that, you know what, a, a couple of weeks later, we're actually chatting again. So, so it's really good to, uh, those connections are always important to, uh, to, to foster and kind of like, you know, grow as you go along. We talk a lot about instinct on the show and how when you follow that little voice inside of yourself, and I mean, we just happen to be sitting next to each other at a, at a counter in the restaurant at the hotel where we just both happened to be staying and started a conversation. But had we not done that, we would not have met and I wouldn't have found out all these amazing things about you. So I did ask you a question: Where did you come from? And and uh, tell me about your background. Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, I'm second generation African Indian. My grandfather moved to uh, East Africa in 1895. Uh, my parents were born in East Africa. I'm born in East Africa. I, I like to call myself. Uh, uh, I'm not saying it's the right term, but I, I normally refer to myself as a, as a bush baby because I was literally <laughs> born in the bush. My parents were on safari. And um, I came out a couple of days early and my mom did not expect it. This was in 1966, you know, it's not like we had all the mod cons that we have today. So I was literally born in the bush um, and they had to transfer me to back to Kampala, which was about two hours away to the hospital to uh, to obviously receive the uh, the actual uh, the proper treatment. <laughs> and yeah, that that's a product of the a product of the 60s, uh, uh, born in Africa. I like to call myself, you know, um, uh, Indian blood, my, uh, but Africa, my heart is African, very much African. And we, we had a great, uh, great life in Uganda, but, you know, unfortunately it was all taken away from us when Idi Amin, uh, the dictator, expelled all the Ugandan Asians. So I like to call myself one of the original refugees, and we were, we were kind of like uh, accepted only by the UK. So we, we were forced out of Uganda and we moved to the UK as refugees in 1972. That was what they call the exodus, right? The exodus, yes. We were, were the families, each family was allowed a hundred dollars allowance and, and we had to leave, uh, you know, within, within 90 days. My goodness. Um, even our own country, India, would not take us back. The only country that would accept us was the UK because we were British citizens, uh, rather British subjects. So, uh, moved to the UK in 1972, extremely harsh environment, especially for my parents coming from uh, the warm tropical climate, moving to a very cold, gray UK, where um, multiculturalism had not really set in yet, you know. It was still very uh, race-driven, um, and, you know, people of, of my color were, were, were considered like um, uh, second-class second citizens, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I give kudos to my times. mom. Those tough were times, very tough, tough times. times. Yeah. So w- with $100 in their pocket, what on earth did your parents do to survive when you got there? Well, this is, this is where I say that, the, you know, the, the Indian way of living, the Indian way of doing business, the Indian way of uh, 
Uh, I'm not saying that because I'm Indian, but we're very resilient as a, as a, as a, as a, as a community, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we have uh, been through some tough times and we kind of stick together. Um, and really it was all about just the cousins and the uncles and aunties coming together, each one getting a job, you know, unfortunately, you know, 15, 20 people in, in, a, in a four bedroom house, but that's just how it was in the beginning mm-hmm. until people are making enough money to then get their own places. But a real sense of community, family community, uh, to really make sure that no one is eating on their own. They're all eating together at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, and that's nice. really what teach, you know, that whole resilience and overcoming those hurdles, I think it's kind of ingrained from you from, from a very young age. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really, even till today, that's what just keeps me going. It's just that the fact that, uh, it's not really how many times you get knocked down, right? It's how many times you get back up. Absolutely. And the sense of family gives you a very firm foundation. If you know that your family is with you and you have that resource, I think you can survive anything. And that's something that a lot of young people are missing nowadays. Uh, yes, because the family values are not there anymore. You see, today everyone's spending their, their family is their smartphone screen. Right. Um, They have a virtual family and then they have a real family, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and they don't talk to their real family, but they'll talk to strangers on the phone. Yeah. You know, Um, so the values are not there. The values have diminished rather. Uh, One of the things about growing up in an Indian culture, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Indian community. I'm sure you are. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is very much orientated towards respect. You know, you respect your elders and you respect uh, everything around you. So. You, you are you are doing things from a from a from a from a position of of of, uh, of grace. You know, you're doing things from a position of not taking things for granted and knowing that, you know, uh, you have to respect your elders because they have lived longer than you have. You know, they just know more than you do. Right. Yeah, I I come from an Italian part of my my father's well, side of the family similar. was from Sicily, and so it's very very similar. And when you talked about having dinner at the end of the day all together, that brings back so many memories. Uh, my parents always, and even when we got to be teenagers and didn't want to do it, my parents insisted that if we were all in the same city at the same time. We sat down at the table and had a wonderful dinner together. Do you know that Americans aren't even buying dining room tables anymore? There are very few dining room tables being sold in this country. <laughs> I, I'm amazed uh, no, by that. Yeah, it's a shame. Well, it's, it's shocking, and it's shocking in the sense that because we're used to that, we come from that. You know, I mean, when I was born, there was I was born with black and white TVs. So, I mean. The, the most amazing invention that I'd ever seen in my life has been the fax machine. You know I mean? We don't even right. look at that thing, those things now. Uh, um, so a lot of the values have diminished. Uh, it's just, you know, this, the world has just changed so drastically in the last 30 years. I'm very blessed to have lived in an era where I've seen really old school and I've really gone into the whole digital, digital um, kind of world and been able to experience the best of both. So there you are. You're a young man. You're in the UK. Where were you in the UK? And what were you doing at that time? You? So I grew up in, I grew up in West London and mm-hmm. uh, did my, uh, you know, had the government uh, schooling, government housing. Mm-hmm. And uh, fortunately, you know, uh, the, the, the work ethic was always there in terms of just studying hard. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I got to be able to go to University of Hull, where I did my, uh, master, my, my bachelor's in economics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Always, always with the note that, you know, I really had this travel bug in me. So in my first term, in my first term in university, I went to Morocco out of the blue. I just picked a place from the Atlas and said, I want to go to Morocco and I want to buy something from, buy things from Morocco and I want to sell it back to the university students. So that was my first kind of entrepreneurial journey, Hmm. Um, selling, uh, selling leatherware and 
things that I bought from the Moroccan markets back to these university students. And that's how I kind of like financed my own education besides what the, what the state was funding my, my studies, but my, my living expenses were financed by my, my entrepreneurial pursuits, as you say. That's awesome. <laughs> to the extent that when I, when I graduated, I'd, I'd already traveled to about five or six countries by the time I graduated. And this was like uh, mid-80s. Um, and then 1989, um, I started selling phones in the UK. Uh, mobile phones, when they first came out, I was one of the first mobile phone dealers in the UK. It's founded a fascinating... A fascinating thing that, you know, we were so used to fixed telephones, you know, with the rotary dial mm-hmm. and having this mobile device, you know, I just found that really fascinating. So I've actually been in the mobile device ecosystem since 1989. So what phones were you selling back then? I was selling the Motorola, Motorola, uh-huh. the big Motorola brick phones. And again, with that urge of wanting to do something international, I went and put a small advert at the Hong Kong Trade Council and on the notice board saying that I supply mobile phones. <laughs> I not knowing, not knowing anything, not knowing, uh, and all of this is captured in my book. Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, the whole journey of, of what I what I went through, and you know, six weeks later, I got I got a, an, a message, not an email. I got a a, a, a message via the council that there's a guy in Hong Kong that wants to buy 183 phones. So I mean, that's a very peculiar number, but also there's no one else supplying this. And now I didn't have the supply because I was used to selling one and two phones, not 183, <laughs> but. You know what? I just said yes. I'm, I can supply you. Good for you. Not even, not even having anything concrete to be able to give to this guy. But he flew over to London with cash. I had to run around and secure the supply, and that was my real first test. <laughs> wow. You know? Yeah. And fortunately, everything worked out. I made a lot of money on that first shipment, to the extent that he actually wanted me to come to Hong Kong and China to see the box being opened at the, at the port in China. Oh, that's wonderful. And it was a brilliant feeling. One thing too, before I forget, tell people the name of your book and where to get it. Uh, yeah, my book is called Tested, uh, T-E-S-T-E-D, uh, Tested. The subtitle is The Dream is Free, but the Hustle Comes at a Cost. Love it. And uh, it's available on Amazon. It's uh, it was a bestseller in the UK. I was I voted for the uh, business book of the year in 2018 in the UK. I, um, I you know... I, I, I've been able to capture the, the real important parts of my journey from birth till 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 recently. Uh, and fortunately for me, I've got a very very good memory, and I, I was able to pen this book in in six weeks. Oh my goodness! Well, Amazon tested by Alpesh Patel. That's wonderful. Okay, so let's go back. I, I'm curious about one thing. Did you ever find out from this gentleman why the number 183 phones? Because that is a very strange number. Yeah, it was because at that time, China was still a communist country. Okay. And apparently, the, the municipal council that we had sold these phones to had only enough foreign allocation of currency to be able to buy 180. I think they wanted to buy 200. But at the end of the day, with the currency calculations and the tax and everything, it just came exactly down to 183 <laughs> phones. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that's your lucky was, number, 183. Yeah, yeah. Well, eight and three, definitely. Um, and uh, um, for me, it was a, it was great because the first time I, I went, I've been in, into, into China then, and I was actually at the port when the when they came over, they opened the box and they brought out these phones, and the main guy just lifted this phone out of the box like it was a World Cup trophy, and and you know, um, we he we got entertained that night in a, in a karaoke and. And by the end of that night, he'd already told my partner, because he didn't speak in English, he already told my partner that, you know what, I need another 200 of these. So that's when my first 
trading exercise began in the mobile phone business. What a wonderful memory. <laughs> I immediately moved to Hong Kong. I, I, I moved to Hong Kong in 1990 and I was in Hong Kong for six years and um, I was one of the few guys who were selling um, high-end products into China. I was a, you know, I was a millionaire at the age of 24 in US dollars. Congratulations. Now, what was going on in your, I know, that's what I was going to ask you. What was going in your mind back then? Because you're very young. You're obviously an amazing entrepreneur. You're a great salesman. You have all of this money. Then what do you do? What happens to you? The problem is in those days, you know, we didn't have what we call mentors or advisors or, you know, we didn't have those um, uh, support systems in those days. My dad was not a businessman. My, my dad was living in the UK. I was on my own at the age of 23, 24, making all this money. Uh, Hong Kong was an extremely decadent place uh, in the early 90s mm -hmm. uh, before before the takeover. And it was really, you know, I don't like to say it, but it was wine, women and song. Of course. Well, that's the age, right? <laughs> and that's the age. And you get carried away and you start doing silly things and you start uh, lending money to people that uh, are not going to pay you back. And you just write it off and you don't look at the opportunities. I'll be presented with so many opportunities, but because my head was so stuck in the fact that I'm always going to make money from this, from this gig, I'd like to call it a gig mm -hmm. that I, I just, my, I was blinded to any other opportunities, but I was presented the opportunities. I didn't have the wisdom. I didn't have the know-how. I didn't have the vision of being able to build on what I'd already set as a foundation. Um, and that's the, what I tell young people today. I was like, you know what? Yes, live for today, but you've really got to think about tomorrow. I know. I wish I had somebody to help me do that when I was that age as well. You know, uh, two, two things come to mind with what you're saying. Uh, true friendships and how to gauge when you have that kind of money and you're living that kind of life. There are a lot of people around you who, like you said, you were loaning money to, you know, discerning as you get a little bit older who your true friends are and who the good people are is, is one thing too. Oh no, 100%. And then planning for the future. So you have so much you can teach younger people. So keep going. This is fascinating. So there you are. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, a couple of examples of opportunities that I had that I just completely just ignored. I was given the offered to have one of the first internet cafes in Hong Kong, which I said, well, what is the internet? <laughs> you know? Um, <clears throat> and I thought, well, this is, this, is, this is not for me. And then I was, offered, um, I was offered one of the first GSM licenses in India wow. through a contact in Hong Kong. He's like, I'll pay you doing phones. Would you like to have access to a license in India, which enables you to sell the phone service? And I'm like, no, it's too much work for me. I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm making good money here just selling the handsets. Huh. I didn't really um, capitalize on, on, the, on the momentum that I had created. And it kind of like, it was my first real lesson in, uh, in, in business that, you know, don't take, anything for, don't take anything for granted. Right. And listen to the small voice that sometimes comes. Listen to the small voice. This. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. know one of my silly stories? I actually, mm -hmm. <laughs> I had a friend call me many years ago and says, I've heard about this new technology. I'm buying the East Coast of the United States. You can have the West Coast of the United States. And I said, what is it? He says, well, it's something called a fax machine. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't do it. Yeah. yeah. Look, good things always come to an end. That's the way I look at it, you know, um, and especially if you don't diversify. One of the key things is to diversify as soon as you can by adding complementary products, uh, you know, to your offering. Because I, I did so much in building trust with my, with my customers, but I didn't have anything to follow through on in terms of new product offerings. Mm. 
Yeah. You know, so I kind of like, you know, really um, started looking at other ventures uh, as the mobile phone business was becoming more and more competitive. People were hearing about China. So the big guys started coming in from Europe and they kind of like started outpricing me. Uh, you know, they started setting up proper teams on the ground. I never invested in the, in people, you know, so it kind of became a bit challenging to to maintain that business. And uh, I kind of fizzled out, to, to be honest with you. I kind of fizzled out and. I was looking for the next opportunity, and that's what I'm. That, that's when I then moved on to. Uh, uh, I went to live in Japan for a year, and then from there, I I got invited to to South Africa, and that's when I went kind of back to Africa. Wow, there's something about that country that pulls you in. I can't explain it. The first time I ever went there, I just I felt so enveloped by it. Yeah, uh, there's there's a strong. I don't know what it is. It's it's the spirit of the country yeah. is very very strong, and the people go have been through so much. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So keep going. So there you are. You're back in Africa. Yes, yeah, so I'm back in Africa and uh, looking to see you know um, trying to see how I can make a living there. Seeing that Hong Kong and China was kind of closed off for me, but I still had all my connections in China, so I started bringing in some goods from China. And, uh, you know, trying to sell them into the South African market, mainly, you know, consumer products like like clothing and things. Mm-hmm. It didn't really work out. And I started feeling the real pinch of, okay, now what what do I do here? And and, and, and at that time, 1999, that's when I went and met my wife, mm. you know. And um, that was a really interesting story because the day I met her, I had no money in my pocket, you know. And I think that really gave me a wake-up call to say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like feeling that I want to settle down with this girl and, and make it a bit more of a, bit more of a, um, permanent kind of relationship, but I need to find some income. And that's when I actually got my first corporate job. And that's when I uh, got a job with a company called Harris Corporation. It's a very large U S telecommunications Mm -hmm. firm. They wanted someone to, to run around Africa selling very expensive microwave radios to some of the poorest countries on, on the planet. And I was the one who put my hand up. Mm. So, and I put my hand up because I needed a salary, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So yeah. again, sometimes you've got to do things not out of choice, but because of necessity. Of course. But again, blessing in disguise, it gave me a lot of experience in terms of running across Africa, talking to all the mobile telecom operators, I started creating some really good relationships and I started to understand how corporations work in terms of their buying cycles, how technology is implemented into vast telecommunications networks. So Hong Kong gave me my hardcore trading skills, whereas Harris Corporation gave me my corporate training in terms of strategic selling. Mm -hmm. So selling, you know, equipment packages of one, two million dollars, getting teams together to work on proposal uh, RFPs and how to bid for tenders and and things like that. And that started really getting me going into this whole telecommunications ecosystem once again, but more from a more complicated background perspective. Mm-hmm. But because I was, I've always been a salesman, I've always been someone that needs to be in front of the customer and someone who's very much out there in terms of um, the show, I found it extremely boring because I'm selling equipment. It's a B2B equipment. I'm selling to chief technical officers and I'm not a technical guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I like, you know what, this is great. I've got my learnings, but I really need to be in front of the customers. So that's when I applied for a job to become a business manager for Motorola. And fortunately for me, I got the job, A, because I had the African experience from running around, and two, I knew about Motorola because that was the first phone that I sold back in 1989. Right, there you go. So you came full circle at that point, it didn't came, you? I came back full circle, and I just fitted into that role, and 
um, that was an um, that was my second corporate job, and that was the, probably the one of the most amazing rides in my in my life from 2002 to 2007. I went from business manager to becoming director of sales for Middle East and Africa in a very short space of time because I it was just everything. You know, when when the stars are aligned, yes, that <laughs> my stars were aligned. It was like nothing could go wrong. Well, they align when you're doing what you're supposed to do. I see so many people beating their heads against the wall all the time. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard, but sometimes with tough love, you have to say, do you think you're, you're looking at the wrong path? Do you think maybe if it's this difficult for you, you might think about something else to do that you're also very good at that you might enjoy? Um, you, you were doing not just what you liked at the time, but also you were following your correct path and that's exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah. And you know, it's like, it's like, um, you know, we always say, you know, failing, failing, failing is really good because you learn more about yourself, but you know, failure to me is just another way of the universe whispering in your ear that, you know what, your path actually lies somewhere else. Yes. You know, so you take those little messages that you get. But in, in terms of Motorola, I think it was not just me. I think it was also Motorola itself as a company was extremely successful in the early 2000s because they had the V3, the Razer phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and Motorola, till today, still makes the best phones in the world. Really, really good company, engineering firm. But, you know, what let it down and why the demise of Motorola came is because of management. You know, it was, it was a people problem. But I rode the wave in Motorola to be able to take this uh, brand to number one market share in, in a number of African countries to be able to then move from South Africa to Dubai, where I lived for eight years, and really to create a, a substantial business, uh, generating uh, substantial revenues for, for Motorola over that four, four or five-year period. And mm-hmm. that's really got my, that was my finishing experience in the mobile system, because I then got the experience of marketing, I got the experience of retail distribution, mm-hmm. I got the experience of consumer communication. So if you add that to my technical background from Harris and my trading experience from Hong Kong, it gave me a very well-rounded experience in the mobile device ecosystem. There you have it. So is that when you decided to start MyPhone? That's it, yeah. So when I left Motorola, I had offers with other other brands, and I'm like, you know what? If I, if I go and build someone else's dream, I will always regret it. And I'm not saying I made the right decision, and I'll explain to you why. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I was comfortable enough financially to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to go out on my own. Mm-hmm. I know enough people, I've got enough networks and connections to be able to go and do my own phone brand. And and those days, no one came out with their own phone brand. This is 2008, you know? So tell people who don't know what my phone was and is it still, do you still, I know you sold the company, no. but, but uh, yeah, what company. was my phone back then? Because that was a, that was a pretty amazing accomplishment. Well, it was, it was, um, it was a, my phone was, is the first African mobile devices brand. And when I say that, I mean, all the phones today are made in China, but the design and put and putting together the whole thing was all conceptualized in Africa, similar to what Apple puts on their box, designed in California, but assembled in China. We were designed in Africa, but assembled in China, but we were an African brand because we had African shareholders. Uh, it was a, the first kind of like, uh, um, indigenous brand of the continent. And we were the first, probably one of the first tech hardware startups on the African continent. This is before the word startup was even mentioned. And you at the time, if I'm understanding correctly, wanted to bring a device into the marketplace that young people could afford. It was less than $100, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, I, I wanted to bring low-cost connectivity mm-hmm. to millions of African uh, 
African consumers. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I saw the, the issues when I was with Motorola. I saw the gaps that Motorola was not filling. Mm-hmm. And those are the gaps that I wanted to fill. And because I was small enough, because I was nimble enough, I could fill those gaps pretty quickly. And in my first month of operating in April, I received my first order. Um, and I was revenue generating from day one. So it was not like a Silicon Valley startup where you don't uh, generate revenues for a long time. This mm-hmm. was like revenue generating from day one because if I didn't uh, generate revenues, I, I couldn't pay my bills. So I, again, I, I come from that old school of entrepreneurship, which is you, know, you buy something for $1 and you sell it for three. Whereas the Silicon Valley model is you, you buy for three and you sell for one if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's, I've never yeah. quite understood that model. But I think to put this in perspective, back at the time, weren't the iPhone selling for like $600 and you were, you came onto the marketplace with something that was equally as good. Our phones were $20. Oh Our phones goodness. started at $20, feature phones. These were not smartphones, these were feature phones, but that's what the majority of Africans could afford back then, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we, we expanded very quickly on the continent. I, uh, the first phone that actually got me a lot of international press was the Obama phone. That was uh, really, because uh, the day Obama became president, mm-hmm. we launched a phone in Kenya called the My Obama Phone. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a <laughs> so great idea. I, yeah, well, you know, I figured out if people are putting Obama's face on a T-shirt or a coffee mug, I could put his phone on a, uh, I could put his face on a phone. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So fade out, fade back in. Here we are years later. I'm meeting you and you're showing me this phone that you have basically that pays people back to use it. And tell, tell us what Zambezi is. Unless I'm skipping over too much. Am I, am I missing a huge no, no, chunk no, no. in here? No, I'm just saying that we ran this business in Africa for eight years. It was all completely self-funded. I couldn't raise a penny. You know, we came out with the first fintech offering in Africa in 2011, which was the card, uh, the debit card that came with the phone. Again, too early for its time. The word fintech was not even mentioned. We had to shelve that project because of uh, obstacles with the banking regulations. Uh, they, did, they looked at us as a disruptor. So, you know, we've tried a lot of things. I pushed the envelope a lot. And that's what happens when you have very little funding. You become more creative. You actually become more, much more innovative when you don't have funding because you have to survive somehow. And you, the only thing you can rely on is your wit and your, and your brain. Right. So we were, we were able to come up with a lot of innovative offerings into the African market that kept us going for eight years. And then finally got to the stage where I really needed to get some money into this business. And I sold a uh, majority stake uh, to a large South African conglomerate. Um, a lot of lessons learned from that. It was not the exit that I wanted. I write about it in the book. You know, I did have an exit. We were, the, again, the first tech hardware startup that went on to a proper exit in Africa, selling to a $5 billion conglomerate. But, you know, I write in my book, Serena, that uh, I could have ended my book. You know, I get into my private jet and I fly off into the sunset. And then I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be telling the truth. The truth is when entrepreneurs exit, you know, there's a price to pay. You know, and you're basically losing your freedom. You're losing a lot of things that you had taken for granted in your journey, uh, and especially when you become part of a big corp- corporation. Mm-hmm. And I started to then see the, the difficulties of running this business when it's taking two to three months to make take, get approvals and the financing was not as agreed. And there was a lot of issues. So basically, I, I kind of like mm-hmm. l- lost the appetite for the passion that I had. Um, and one of the things that killed me, uh, my, my spirit in Africa was when I, when I took Xiaomi to court. Now Xiaomi, as you know, is a very big mm-hmm. Chinese brand, mm-hmm. but they also had the MI on their phone. 
Oh. And I had the MI on, and I had registered my brand all across Africa years before they even came. So I went to court with them and I won injunctions, but I did not have enough money to sustain the court cases. You know? I understand, yeah. I saw a lot of that with people I talked to at CES. A lot of these tech developers have the same problem. Anyway, go ahead. So what happened? So it kind of killed, it kind of killed my spirit, and I'm like, you know what, I'm done. I, I cannot be fighting in this continent that, you know, I love this continent, but the systems and the corruption and the bureaucracy and all that, it kind of really stifled me, kind of killed my spirit. And, and mm-hmm. that's when I actually had entrepreneur burnout. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm firsthand experience what burnout is like, and it's not a nice feeling physically, mentally, spiritually, you're just finished. And that's when I took time out and I said, you know what, I want to write a book. And I spent uh, uh, six weeks writing the book. It took me another six months to, to print it, edit it, um, you know, self-published, market it, do the, do, the, do the speaking rounds. So 2017, I was really spent a lot of time promoting the book and just really looking at, okay, what's really next? And then I came across this opportunity in what I think is, the, is a market that I have not conquered yet. Uh, and it's, that's, that's the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when I came up with this uh, idea with, uh, with some partners that the next evolution of smartphone technology is where the consumer is at the center of everything. So we've developed this brand called Zambezi. <clears throat> Zambezi, again, the minority play on Amazon. Zambezi being a very uh, 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 prominent African river. Mm-hmm. It's a river that has, yeah, it's a river that, that, that sustains five countries. Mm-hmm. It's a river that sustains 300 million people. Uh, and with its tributaries, if you, if you think about the phone, if you think about the ecosystem, what I showed you on the phone, it, this, is a, this is a central river with tributaries. And those tributaries feed uh, sub-ecosystems. So we, we have this brand called Zambezi, and the way we spelt it was abbreviated for tech purposes, but also Z-M-B-I-Z-I, the B-I-Z being business. It's a business tool. Mm-hmm. And really, uh, if you look at the back of the phone, which I showed you, it's, it's transparent. So mm-hmm. you can see the inside of the phone. Again, we want to be a transparent company. I love we, it. It's beautiful. We want to be able to give back to the user because Apple and Samsung are not paying you today. No, so explain to people how this is going to work. This is fascinating to me. And there's so many different aspects to this. I've, I've got a lot of questions for you. <laughs> Things yeah, that no, are no, going no. around um, in my head this here. Is, this is, if I was to release a phone again for the sake of doing the phone business, I would be the last person to do it. It's a dog's game, right? The phone right. business is probably one of the most cutthroat industries on the planet. Right. I've been doing it for 30 years. I've seen big giants fall. And I've seen big giants get even bigger. Um, of course, talking about Apple and Samsung. So we are not in this game to compete with Apple and Samsung. We're in this game to create a new lane. It's a new category. So my aim is to create a category king in the next evolution of smartphone devices where the customer is at the center of everything. So if you imagine the seven lanes driving from LAX to Beverly Hills, imagine just the eighth lane. Mm-hmm. where there's not much traffic. Mm-hmm. And that's the lane that we're creating for ourselves, which is to say that this is the phone that rewards you. It rewards you for your searching. It rewards you for your shopping. It rewards you for paying your bills. It rewards you for sharing information. And all those rewards are captured in what we call the Zambezi Rewards Wallet in the form of points, Zambezi points. Mm-hmm. When those points get to a certain level equal equivalent to $50, you then they just press transfer and it goes into your Zambezi debit card because every phone comes with a prepaid card. What a great idea. What you've done here is you've taken the whole loyalty ecosystem, but you're removing the need to be confined to certain catalogs and, oh, I have to buy this toaster or this kettle from this merchant. No, they give the power back to the user. 
let the user decide what they want to spend their money on. And the best form of that is cash. Mm -hmm. So you give the user cash on a card and it's up to them. They can go to the ATM, they can go to the grocery store, buy some milk and cookies, they can do whatever they want. And that's giving power back to the user. But in the process, in the process with having a prepaid card, you're helping the user to also, and remember the target market we're, we're after is not, is not like people who are doing high income people. This is urban generation Z, multicultural millennials, generation Z, black, Asian, Latino, white, kids that follow hip hop, kids that follow music, kids that are creating tomorrow's trend. Mm -hmm. But kids in school who need to build up their credit profiles, kids in, uh, who, uh, who want to have that flexibility of being really rewarded for their interaction on the screens because kids are spending a lot of time on their phones and they're just not getting anything back. Maybe they're getting lots of depression, but we want to give something back to them. So I asked you a question when I first met you about the first thing that hit me was, okay, we're targeting young people. What's the security? How, how, do, we, uh, how do parents monitor this and know that their children or their older children even are, are in an arena where they're safe? Well, the thing is like, <clears throat> the thing is, for example, the, the phone, as a parent, the phone can be bought for the child, but the child would not get the card because you have to be over 18. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have to pass KYC. All of these uh, cards are issued uh, with our partner, FIS, which is one of the largest processing companies in America. Mm -hmm. So we follow compliance rules to be able to give cards to um, a qualified uh, person. And if the kid of the child is given the phone, the parents are, are the ones who are actually going to monetize from that because they've got the card. Right. But the child, the child is going to be on the phone and the child's going to do whatever they're doing today on the phone. We're not asking you to change your uh, habits at all. Whatever you're doing today on your iPhone or your Samsung or whichever phone you use, if you just do it on a Zambezi phone, but at least that's going to reward you. Very interesting. This is fascinating. Yeah. Now you partnered with THX. What was that? So, yeah. So what, 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 what I'm saying is that what we wanted to create also is that the phone that pays you is it comes with a debit card. It comes with the rewards wallet. You're going to monetize from all your activity on the screen on the Zambezi part of the ecosystem because we're sitting on an Android screen. The problem is that we don't only want to be seen as a, as a company that's only monetarily interested in you as a consumer. Mm -hmm. So we had to bring other experiences into this. So the audio experience is with the premier sound company on the planet, which is THX. Absolutely. Now, we're, we're the first mobile device to have THX spatial audio embedded in the phone. And again, we're nothing special. No one's ever heard of us. But why did THX agree to this? Because they are very much in tune with the target market that we're, we're targeting. Right, they, they, you know, the young young population, and THX, as you know, is is uh, is is George Lucas's company, and have they have brilliant sound technology. They do. They're... So to be able to bring that into a phone, where it doesn't matter if you put a Beats by Dre or you put a Yamaha or a Bose or you put a cheap Chinese one dollar headset, you're going to get a sound that's very personal to you. Again, putting you in the center of everything hmm. as a consumer. THX powers our phone. Their logo's on the back of the phone. That's awesome. So you also, um, you're also involved with iHeartRadio, probably for that reason, right? Take advantage of the sound and Afro music and your video player. Yeah, iHeartRadio is, yeah. I want the video player again. So monetary rewards, audio rewards, and then visual rewards. So we've got this brilliant, innovative, never seen before, interactive video, Zambezi video player embedded in the phone. 
This is the first video player. I think I demoed it. I don't know if I demoed it to you. You can actually play with the video with your finger. So you interact with your video with mm -hmm. your finger. Mm -hmm. You can't do that on, on, on an iPhone or a Samsung today. Mm -hmm. So you can fast forward, slow motion, you can cut it and you can share it with your social media network. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing with the video is to basically what iTunes did with people, they made everyone a DJ. What did Instagram do with People, they made everyone think that they're, they're the next big photographer because of the filters. Right, that's true. We, we, <laughs> right? Um, oh my gosh, you're making me laugh. That's no, true. But that's, that's, but that's true. So we yeah. want to try and help kids to be able to edit their own videos because today video editing is not that simple on a phone. Yeah, it's getting easier, but it's still not that simple. You have to have a certain an amount of skill in order to make Correct. it Correct, but with this, with, this with, the, with the Zambezi video player, it's mm -hmm. extremely easy to just shoot your own videos, edit it, and just share it with your social media network. So we wanted to capture all those three experiences to be able to give you what we call a holistic 360-degree experience. Hmm. There's also some health tracking you can do too, right? Yeah, yeah. We've got uh, telemedicine, so you can call a doctor. Based on your zip code, you'll get us, uh, aligned with a, with, a, with a doctor who will give you a 15-minute consultation. Again, you pay for that consultation, you're going to get a reward. We've got uh, diagnosis, health tips, We've got a student finance platform. So it's a, it's a platform uh, with, Israeli, with the Israeli tech company that we've partnered with, which is like a student marketplace. So you know that student debt in America is really bad, but black student debt is, is, is really bad. And, and what we really want to do is empower a lot of these kids to not be scared to go to college. Uh, they're scared to go to college, not because they're scared of the people in college, but they're scared of taking on the debt. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've got this uh, platform that matches students with investors. Now, this is really great because an investor invests $30,000 behind the student's education and the student pays that investor back over the next five or 10 years from their income, hmm. right? So it's called an income share agreement. And if, and if the student doesn't have a job, they don't have nothing to pay back because it's not a debt. It's not a loan. It's an investment. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So uh, there's a, there's an aspect to this called FileFlex that I was very interested in. Mm -hmm. um, it's remote access it's not putting things into a cloud service that you buy, but it's remote access to your own storage where you don't have to store, I'm telling you the way I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have to store all your videos and your pictures on your phone and worry about transferring it and things getting lost and things getting complicated. You can access your media directly uh, from where you would normally store it. Is that correct? Am I understanding that yeah, correctly? Yeah, correct. So it's like remote file sharing kind of application? Remote file sharing with your desktop. So basically your desktop can sit on your phone, right? So today, if you go into the FileFlex application, you can see your desktop files. Okay. And what happens there with the phone, what we give for the first year is we give you free cloud service, unlimited, unlimited storage. So something that you would pay to Google or Apple $2 a month, we're giving you 30 or $40 worth of free cloud storage included in the price of the phone for free. So you can store all your videos, all your movies, et cetera, in the cloud, you know, it's not going to take up any space on your phone. Oh, so, so it is cloud-based. Okay. Yeah, but what it, what it is is also, it's also very much a remote, um, uh, you know, you're on the go. People are more and more people are mobile, more and more people are operating businesses on the go. Uh, you'll be able to access files from your desktop. Hmm. And that's secure? Very secure, yes. Again, we, uh, what I want to make very clear is that we are like a department store, like a Harrods or a Selfridges. Mm -hmm. uh, we have just worked with very, very qualified partners. So if you look at our sound partner, 
the best in the industry, THX. If you look at our media partner, probably the best in the industry, iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. If you look at our card partner, FIS, probably the best in the industry. So we, we really handpicked these partners. And we, what we've got here, Serena, is a curated offering, mm-hmm. right? To be able to give uh, trust and convenience to the consumer. That's amazing. All wrapped up within one six six inch screen. Well, I went all over CES and this is the one innovation that really piqued my interest. So when are these uh, going to be available and how much, what's the price point? So they're, they're um, as soon as we did the event last week in uh, the launch uh, showcase in, in uh, Las Vegas last week, we uh, we released our website. So you can go to zambezi.com right now and uh, you will see the, the whole offering. It's uh, $389, including the free card and the free one-year storage. Uh, it's 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 a, it's a mid-priced device, and I think uh, I think people are going to love it because there's a lot of features that come with it. Uh, it's we're in pre-order phase, so we're just taking pre-orders right now with a $25 deposit, mm-hmm. and the actual product will only ship uh, towards the uh, middle to end of March. Mm-hmm. So we're uh, we're also pacing this in in, in a very in a very uh, manageable manner because we're going direct to consumer. I love it. Well, I'm putting my $25 down. I want one. <laughs> well, it's going to, uh, I'm actually going to, I would love to send you one of our first batches. So I'd love to get a review from you. Um, this is a simple Android phone. Again, we're not targeting the iOS users or anything. We're just targeting people who are used to the Android mm-hmm. uh, ecosystem, but they mm-hmm. just want to try a new mm-hmm. uh, a device that's actually going to reward them. So we're really, exci- we're really excited about this. You just put your own cellular service onto the phone, right? In addition to the apps that are on the phone. Yeah, correct. The, 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 the phone currently will work on AT&T and T-Mobile. Okay. Although we are in talks with other carriers to for mm-hmm. a, a bit more of a longer term strategic uh, alignment as we go along uh, mm-hmm. over the next few months. Well, this is amazing. You have such a, uh, an amazing journey and you're so inspirational to so many people just with everything you've overcome in your life and how far you've come. But also, you know, it seems to me that looking back on what I know of your life, you have that ability to be pretty honest with yourself about where you are and where you should go next. And a lot of people don't do that. Um, I think that's pretty unique. I think at the end of the day, you know, we just have to look at ourselves and just keep on reinventing ourselves. I just believe that uh, some people's time comes when you're 22, i.e. Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. And some people's time comes when you're 60, uh, you know, I, I mean, people like Oprah Winfrey and all these guys who, who got a late start mm-hmm. in life. You know, I mm-hmm. think everyone's time comes. It's just now I believe that, you know, we have a certain amount of wisdom to be able to identify those opportunities and then, and then capitalize as well. Uh, although I don't mean that in a bad way, what we're doing is very much called conscious capitalism. You know, it is really about the, the user. It's about sharing. I really believe in sharing some of our, um, some of our income back to the user to really create a sense of community because I think that's that's lost now with a lot of these big tech firms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become a one-way street and it's become a very cruel world as you can see as well. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, especially the young people, um, I think we need to embrace them a bit more into this into this whole thing because the next big thing coming, Serena, is 5G. 5G is going to change everything, you know, and that's the next big thing coming and we need to be prepared for that. Boy, we need to bring you back on again because that's a whole different subject and one yeah. that I'm I'm very, very interested in. You know, I, I do believe the world is a tough place, but as I travel around, I find wonderful people, young and old, everywhere I go. And I personally focus on that. 
I focus yeah. on the good people. I focus on their hearts and I focus on their amazing minds and the goodness that you can find if you just allow yourself to see it. And, you know, call me Pollyanna, but that's just the way I've always been. And uh, I think you're one of those people. I think that you're a survivor. Uh, obviously, you're, you're an entrepreneur. You're a, a tech innovator, but you're also a really good person. I think that the reason you're so successful is because you have this great mind, but you also have an ability to build relationships. And, and that's key. So you are now part of the OWC Radio family, and I hope you'll come on again. I really cool. enjoy speaking with you. Tell people again where you want them to go, both for your book and for the website. Oh, well, listen, I'm, I'm, it's been a real, real pleasure to, to speak with you. And uh, thank you for giving me uh, the opportunity to, to, to speak about uh, myself and also Zambezi. Um, in terms of the uh, offering that we have, Zambezi is available on the www.zmbizi.com, as we would say in America, Z-M-B-I-Z-I.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, we are uh, really excited to build this community as we go forward. Um, I'm sure people are going to start hearing about us via our campaigns on the radio and uh, some of the events that we've got planned across the year. The book that I wrote, Tested, is available on Amazon right now, and uh, it's it's available on Kindle. It's also available in audiobook if you if you like to listen to if you like to listen to a voice like mine because uh, I narrated it myself. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm really, 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 uh, really excited about about doing something in in the U.S. I think uh, the U.S. is really it, it really is a great great market, and I've learned to really understand America over the last couple of years. I was there 22 times last year, just in and out having business meetings and just really understanding. It's a fascinating, fascinating country. And I really want to, uh, um, looking forward to learn more about the, the, the U.S. as well. So it's, it's an exciting journey for everyone. Well, we welcome you here. And thank you so much for taking time out of your very, very busy day. And everyone listening, you know what I tell you, get up off your chair and go do something wonderful today. I want to say thank you to Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this podcast. It gives me the chance to talk to wonderful people like Alpesh, and I'm very, very grateful. So have a wonderful day, everyone, and Alpesh, thanks again for your time. Thank you. Thank you.